0: and welcome to the hello live podcast brought to you by the hello foundation i'm your podcast host kelly bodden and i'm a speech language pathologist based in portland oregon you will receive 30 minutes of free ceus for listening to this episode in its entirety i'll give you instructions on how to document your participation at the end of the episode i'll also tell you how to get in touch with any questions or comments you have for us but for now sit back and enjoy the show
1: My name is Heidi Peters and I'm a speech language pathologist and today I'm going to be talking about connecting assessment results to IEP goals. Are you doing it right? And the reason why I'm doing this is because I have been an SLP just shy of 10 years and I have worked in five states and over 15 districts. So um, I've experienced a lot of different IEP programs and and been exposed to a lot of um, different SLPs and the way they write their goals. So I often cover leaves um, and fill in gaps when districts aren't able to hire. So pretty much all of my IEPs have been written by another SLP. I walk into the building at the beginning of the year or in the middle of the year, whenever um, my position starts, and I have to say, most of them, the majority of them, thankfully, are written very nicely. But there are some patterns of errors in regards to the present levels and goals that I've seen. Um, And we'll go over those patterns of errors in just a minute. Um, What I want to do with this podcast is take a step back and begin with the evaluation and how you get to those goals. So, what sorts of things do we need to consider? Um, What are we looking for? What do I write in the IEP? And how do I know what to target? So I surveyed 30 SLPs from within the Hello Foundation and through a speech-language pathology Facebook page. And while 30 people is not a large population sample, it's nice to know what others are doing and that I'm not the only one facing these issues. Um, I would love to have a huge sample to find out what people are doing across the nation, but um, I'll save that for another another day. So um, I'll be sharing some of the survey results throughout the podcast. So listen for those. Just a little background on the people that completed the survey. Most of the SLPs work with elementary age students, followed by middle school, and then preschool and high school had similar numbers. 25 of 30 people have worked in the school setting for at least five years. So these are um, pretty experienced SLPs. And um, the language assessment most often used was the CELF. And I didn't clarify whether it was the CELF 4 or the new CELF 5 because I know people are in transition to using the newest one, and either way, it doesn't really matter when you're going from the evaluation to the goals and the process. Um, so to jump back to those patterns of errors that I have seen, and also that um, people through the survey reported seeing on IEPs that, that, you know, that you've inherited from another SLP, whether or not this is students that have moved from um, out of district or out of state, or even within district from another um, SLP. So um, one of the patterns of errors, one of the er errors is um, writing too many goals or objectives. So getting an IEP that has too many goals or or objectives to meet in one year. You know, you look at there and you're going, whoa, did they write every single item missed from the SELF 4 in their goals? 80%, so 24 of the 30 people have reported seeing this. And then um, the second one is seeing goals that are obviously straight from items missed on the assessment or from subtests. So an example of this would be, John will repeat sentences of increasing length and complexity. And of course we look at those goals and we say, what, that's not functional. Why, why are we working on something like that? That's not functional. Repeating sentences is not a functional goal. So um, we'll get into what to do with that. But um, 60%, so 18 of the 30 people reported seeing goals like that. The third one is writing goals that are too general. Seeing goals that are really general, like John will improve his receptive and expressive language skills. And that's your goal. And so what happens with those kind of goals is the next SLP, usually me and my colleagues, we have to spend the time to then go and figure out what specific skills this child needs to work on. If you get a goal that says that this child will improve their receptive and expressive language skills, we say, okay, does that mean they need to work on um, some semantic like word meanings? Do they need to work on vocabulary, categorization, um, similarities and differences? Do they need to work on they're present progressive, or do they need to work on plurals or past tense? What do they need to work on? So um, 87%, 26 of 30 reported seeing goals like that. On the flip side of writing too general, of uh, writing goals that are too general, there are goals that are too specific. They have like specific program names in there. So like the STAR program, our language for learning, and there's there's many others. But here's my big thing: if you have to have training or specific materials to do it, then it shouldn't be written in the goal. So there shouldn't be um, program names or limiting of therapy techniques. So if you're working on say vocabulary, you can just say, you know, that through the goal, through a nicely written goal, that they're working on vocabulary. But you're not going to put in there while using the STAR program or while using Language for Learning, because what if that next SLP doesn't have? language learning or they're not STAR trained and they don't have the materials. So, um, you know, we don't want to pass on those sorts of things. You can write that stuff in the present levels. Like they have been using the STAR program and this is what we've been targeting. It's up to the next SLP to, you know, decide what's best for that child. Um, I, I do say there's an exception, something maybe that the child owns, like a DynaBox or an iPad with an AAC device or with an AAC app on it that is going with the child. Um, so 60%, so 18 of the 30 reported seeing goals that are too specific. So, you know, you get, you get the IEP, to go, Oh, that's nice, but I don't have any of that. You know, I don't have any of that stuff. I don't even have a budget to buy that stuff. So I'm going to have to, you know, right now I'm not, that child's not going to be that goal because I don't have that stuff. So, um, some things to consider when you're writing goals <laughs> and, um, We'll go back and review those again towards the end. So I will now go to where do we start? So when you um, get a referral or even a three-year re-evaluation, you know, start with the evaluation, of course. You know, you can decide which evaluation um, or which assessment tool is best. So this can apply for standardized assessments or even informal assessments. Um, You know, you can use the self, the toll, the Castle, the PLS. You know, there's other things. And like I said, um, an informal evaluation, like maybe an IEP probe when it's time for their annual IEP. So review your results and, you know, score it, do all that stuff. Um, If this is a student that is also being assessed by the school psychologist or the resource teacher, you know, what were their results? How are their memory scores? How did they do attention-wise? How did their oral expression skills come out? Um, You know, talk to the school psychologist. Um, And then the biggest thing is knowing what the subtests are measuring. So if, if I see goals like John will repeat sentences of increasing length and complexity, I go, whoa, okay, we need to look at that subtest and know what that subtest is measuring. Okay, we're looking at memory. We're looking at morphology, so word structures. Maybe that child did really poorly on that subtest because they don't use plural. They don't use past tense. And of course, all of those things get scored as wrong. So that could be the reason why that child is actually performing um, poorly on that subtest. So <clears throat> review the manuals if needed. You know, I just was reviewing the cell five in preparation for this. And it gives really nice, um it just, it, a page for each subtest of what this is measuring, how this pertains to the classroom, um, potential targets. So it was really, um, it was really great. And then, um, you know, look look at errors. Do you see patterns? Use the item analyses on each subtest. Not every subtest has them, but most of the subtests have them. Use that because you can go through and say, you're doing the following direction subtest and you start circling the items missed on the item analysis and you go okay yes they're missing concepts but wow it's it's really just spatial concepts that they're having a difficult time with i mean they've got the temporal concepts they've got you know and then you, when you go to write your goal you're not going to say oh they'll improve their you you know use and understanding of concepts you can you can narrow it down to spatial concepts so really know what those subtests are measuring look for errors or sorry look for patterns of errors if, um, you know, if they're having difficulty with, say, word classes on the cell five or even cell four um, word classes, linguistic concepts, following directions, semantic relationships, sentence comprehension, kind of you know, that kind of screams vocabulary to me. Like, why is this student missing you know, missing all of these test items? Okay, well, maybe it's just that they don't understand the vocabulary. If you don't understand the vocabulary, well you're gonna do really poorly on a lot of subtests. So really knowing what those, what the subtests are measuring. And um, so another thing to consider is um, any other diagnoses that the child may have. Does this child have ADHD? Do they have a TBI, autism, down syndrome? Um, You know, there's any diagnosis may have some, some things that may affect their testing results. If you've got a child with ADHD that you're testing and they do really poorly at the following directions and recalling sentences subtests, well, it could be that their attention skills are interfering with their ability to um, correctly do the subtests, you know. So um, things to consider. And then while you're doing the evaluation, you should also do a language sample. And I know that a lot of places it's not required and people often do, you know, like the one word expressive vocabulary test or something is an additional assessment. But really a language sample is so much easier and it tells you so much more, um, you know, five minutes. And the big thing is, does it support your testing or not? Um, and it may the other concerns. I just to, uh, assessed a student a few weeks ago who did really bad um, on the formulated sentences subtest. And I thought, wow, this girl has a really hard time formulating sentences. I mean, she's, like, when I talk to her, I don't notice that. So, I, you know, I did a language sample, and I was like, and I thought, wow, she's actually, you know, she's formulating sentences quite nicely. Mind you, they're not really complex sentences. But her vocabulary was very basic. So it was the fact that she didn't understand the vocabulary used in the formulated sentences subtest. So, her sentences didn't really make any sense. So, of course, she scored really badly on that subtest. You may notice on the word structure subtest of the CELF-5, that's the one where you go through and you see if they know their plurals and their past tense and their auxiliary verbs and whatnot, that maybe they miss plurals on that subtest. And then you go do the language sample and you're like, oh, they're using plurals, fine. Okay, I don't need to write a goal for that. They're actually using them. Maybe they just missed the two that are on the subtest. So just things to pay attention to. You know, do the evaluation, know what the subtests are measuring, look for patterns of um, errors, use item analysis, and do a language sample. And um, 87%, so 26 of the 30 people, said that they also obtained language samples in addition to standardized assessments. So um, the next step is to prioritize. So when you have all these errors that this child has on the assessment, you go, oh my gosh, where do I even begin? A big thing to consider is the hierarchy of language development. You're not going to start working on similarities and differences if this child does not have um, basic vocabulary or if they don't even understand attributes. You have to know what attributes are and um, to talk about similarities and differences. So my suggestion would be work on attributes first. So um, 73% of the people that completed the survey, so 22 of the 30, consider this when choosing what to target. So you can look at um, semantic development, kind of what I was saying. You know, you're going to start with vocabulary before you start with similarities and differences or synonyms and antonyms, you know, making sure that you start with those earlier developing skills and then move towards the later developing skills. Also consider the brown stages of morphological development, naming things, um, putting actions and object or action plus location before you're going to get down to regular past tense verbs. So you can review those. I mean, you can Google that stuff. It's, it's pretty easy to find. When I'm meeting with Parents and school staff about this stuff, I, I try and paint a picture of a pyramid or of a house, and I explain to them, um, you know, how important it is to have a really strong foundation. Because if you don't have a strong foundation, the whole thing's going to crumble. So, what ends up happening is sometimes these students have goals that are way above their level, and you kind of get this Swiss cheese effect where, like, oh, kind of there's kind of hit and miss. Like, sometimes they can do it, sometimes they can't. And you kind of get these holes in their in their language skills and you're like what is, you know what's happening here it's because they don't have that foundation down they, that foundation has not been built it you know it, it does take time that's that's why there's a developmental order to these things because you don't there's an order you don't learn one before the other unless maybe it's been targeted specifically and then you go okay well they don't really understand the concept because they missed all these other concepts that actually you're supposed to come before that again if the foundation is weak and the child doesn't understand basic vocabulary or doesn't have basic sentence structures they're not going to be able to learn and use language correctly Um, and then goals for those types of later developing schools are currently unrealistic um, as this is you know iep goals are only for a year so what is realistic for this year so the beginning, uh, so one thing to consider for prioritizing goals is the hierarchy of language development. Um, another thing is the teacher, parent, or student input. What is important? What is functional? Um, so when you get to high school and you get an IEP goal that says that they're going to work on their is our verbs, and you go, why is this important anymore? You know, you've got an 11th or 12th grader that's trying to work on plurals. You go, well, you know, they've had... How many years to work on this, and they haven't made any progress? What do they need to know? Well, that child probably needs to know if it's a self-contained, you know, student. That child probably needs to know how to maybe make a basic meal like, my, you know, macaroni and cheese in the microwave, or how to do some laundry, how to follow a sequence, how to follow directions. Um, so, talking to the teacher, talking to the parents, um, and even asking the student if they're, you know, if they're old enough. What do you, you know, what's important to you? What do you want to work on? And 90%, so 27 out of 30 people I surveyed, consider this when choosing what to target. And that's really, really important. Um, and I understand that we don't always have the time because sometimes you do have a really big time crunch when you get a new evaluation. You know, I just had several that moved in district and I had like a week to do the evaluation and have the meeting. And um, you know, sometimes the teachers don't even know them. So um, just, if you have the time, that is such an important thing to consider. Um, what is, what's important to them. And sometimes they'll say something that's just not realistic and you, I mean, that's your job to kind of go back and explain language development to them. So, um, pick a few things to work on. This is, again, don't write a goal for everything they missed on the assessment. Pick two or three goals or objectives, something that's realistic for that student. Kids that are coming from the general ed setting are probably going to make quicker progress than the kids in a self-contained setting. And um, 77% on the survey also said that they pick two to three goals to work on for the year. I also like to group similar types of goals. So I might group categories, functions, associations, and describing or attributes all into one goal because I can work on those pretty easily all at the same time. I also might put pronouns plus auxiliary verbs, you know, is our verbs plus present progressive ING together. So he is running, she is jumping, they are. So I like to group those kinds of goals because they are easier to work on. Um, they're actually almost easier for me to work on if I group them than if I separate them out. Um, so the first thing was evaluation. The second thing is prioritizing and then The next thing is to write it down, write down your findings, write it down in the evaluation, write down their strengths, their weaknesses. Um, You know, you have a, usually have a pretty in-depth report. Um, At the end of the evaluation report, write your recommendations. So identify other areas of need and the hierarchy when they should be addressed. And um, you don't necessarily have to say you know, this year they're going to do this, next year they should do that, then, then, you know, then three years from now they should be working on that. But kind of like this, laying it out, because what's going to happen is that evaluation report is going to move, hopefully, go on with that student. If nothing else, it's going to be in their file at the current school. The parents will have a copy. And if they're wondering why aren't you working on this, you know, why aren't you working on this skill, they have that evaluation report that's, that shows that. Um, now, I say it should go with them if they move on to another school, but unfortunately, that's not always the case. Um, and I say evaluation report, and I know that some IEP systems and some districts don't require an actual report like the current um, district I'm in right now. We don't have a separate report that we write. We, it goes right into the evaluation eligibility paperwork. Um, we just write everything in there. So my, my section is usually pretty long because I want to have as much information in there as possible. Because... I'm the only one that knows that information. So if I don't share it, nobody else is going to know it. And then the second place to write things is the present levels. It's really important to share your findings in the present levels. I don't know how many IEPs I've gotten where there is no information from previous testing in there. And um, I was in a district a couple years ago where they don't have any of their evaluation information in their IEP system. Their IEP system is only IEPs. And I work from home, and I work um, over Skype a lot, and I don't have physical access to the paperwork unless I'm on site. When I go to look in their IEP for their previous testing results, I can go, okay, well, let's see how they did on their, on their self or on their told. last year and I go in there and I'm like there is nothing in here well this this particular IEP program had no copy of their evaluation so I couldn't find their evaluation and um sometimes I couldn't even find a physical copy of it because it was kept at like the district office which was 50 miles away from where I worked so it just was really difficult to get a copy of that and it's really important then to copy that information into the present levels so um On the survey, there were a few um, responses that I just kind of, I loved that summarized why it's important to write the results in the present levels in addition to the evaluation. And one person wrote, I write a detailed present level. And they, they wrote PLEP. I write a detailed PLEP. The IEP is attached to the student. And so, in theory, it is the only guarantee in an otherwise chaotic special education system. It doesn't matter whether the student moves or if there is staff turnover. The IEP will remain, so it is worthwhile to cram that FLEP with enough information so that the student landed. So that if the student landed on someone else's desk next year, next month, next week, they would have enough information to begin quality services immediately. And um, I cannot stress stress that enough because um, just because you think, "Oh, that kid's lived here forever," they're not moving. You you never know. You know that student, the people in the school know that student, but if that student picked up a move tomorrow and the only thing that went with them was the IEP, it needs to be in there because that next SLP needs to know what's going on with that student. Um, The present levels, that that section is there to paint a picture of that student. It's not to put in the minimum amount of information. So um, um, let's see here. Another response is... um, Another person said that they also include what level of support or so what kind of models or support is needed to um, to have that student be successful. Then capture what else may need to be addressed in the future. Some other people wrote things like they send an email to the specific teacher, like the resource room teacher, um, to let them know what the findings are. Um, One person wrote that they discuss with the team or family where things could go in the future and what the next steps will be if it's a very complex or high-needs student. Um, another person said that they write things down in the progress notes. And I kind of, that's fine, but I caution against just doing that because again, what happens to the evaluation report is that kid moves, you know, there's a new school, you know, the, I system doesn't, the IEP system doesn't have it. Or, you know, a situation like me where I work from home and I don't have access to the physical copy. And then also like, The one that says that they discuss with the team or family where things could go in the future um, for the complex or high need students. The thing is, I imagine that the teachers, or not the teachers, sorry, both the teachers and the parents are very overwhelmed in IEP meetings, especially if they're really complex kids. And talking about things that they need to work on in the future. That I mean, that thats just so much information to give them in a meeting. So write it down. Just write down whatever you can. Usually the IEP does follow that child. The parents often get very overwhelmed with information at at IEP meetings, so don't rely on just verbal information um, and telling them what needs to happen in the future because it's just too much. So write it down in the evaluation, write it down in the present levels. And then um, I was actually surprised that there are a few people that didn't write any of this sort of information in the present levels. And well, hopefully they will now. And then the last step is writing SMART goals, of course. We want to write goals that are specific, measurable, attainable, or realistic, um, relevant to that student, and that there's a time frame considered like this is within a year, um, or in certain settings. So um, an example of a goal that is too general would be Kelly will increase her receptive and expressive language skills. A more specific and hopefully better goal would be Kelly will increase her receptive and expressive language skills, or let me restate that. Kelly will increase her receptive and expressive language skills by identifying and labeling classroom vocabulary, including six spatial concepts and five attributes. And then of course you go on to include, you know, where they're currently at and then, you know, what percentage or what accuracy you hope to get by the end of the year. But that's all going to be dependent on on the child. But, um, you know, again, making sure your goals are smart. And if you Google SMART IEP goals, it's this whole acronym that they're using now. So specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and there's a time frame. So just to recap the steps, um, I'll go through those again. Step one, do the evaluation, review the results, know what the subtests are measuring, look at patterns of errors, use the item analysis, do a language sample. Does it support your testing? Are there other concerns that pop up when you do your language sample? Next, prioritize. Consider the hierarchy of language development. Um, consider teacher, parent, or student input. What What would they like to see happen with the student? Um, Pick two or three things to target. And um, write, just because they missed it on the test doesn't need to be a goal. Um, Write it down in the evaluation and the present levels. And then, again, write SMART goals. So to um, the do nots, do not write a goal for every item missed. Look for patterns of errors and prioritize. Do not write goals verbatim from a subtest or aired item. So do not write goals like Sierra will repeat sentences of increasing length and complexity. Or John will formulate sentences. Um, Do not write goals that are too general. It, It does need to include your language targets. And do not write goals that are too specific. So no program names or limiting therapy techniques. So those are my recommendations of connecting your assessment results to your IEP goals. And while this is not the only way to do it, this is um, what I found useful and a lot of other people have found useful um, when going from an evaluation to IEP goals. So um, I hope that you all learned something today and um, have a great week.
0: Thanks. Congrats. You just earned 30 minutes of CEUs approved by the Oregon State Board of Examiners. To document your participation, please visit www.thehellofoundationschools.com C-E-U. You can also find the blog post for this and all of our episodes at www.thehellofoundationschools.com. This is the best way to get in touch with our guests with your questions and comments. And if you want updates about upcoming shows and opportunities to participate, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon.